Welcome to DTC Pod, where we take you behind the wheel with the best founders and operators of consumer brands. You'll learn the ins and outs of business from setting up shop, hitting your first million, scaling past eight figures, and even navigating an exit. As founders ourselves, our goal is to help you learn from the best as you build. Visit us at DTCPod.com to sign up for our weekly newsletter, join our founder community, and find additional resources from every episode. DTC Pod is brought to you by Trend, the creative solution for your brand. Go to trend.io to access thousands of creators for content needs such as product photography, unboxing videos, or even TikTok and IG organic creative. Use the code DTCPOD10 for 10% off your next content purchase. As a D2C brand, you need real-time financial visibility to save money and make better decisions. Waiting for books from slow and expensive bookkeepers that don't get e-commerce is slowing you down. Trusted by hundreds of brands, Finaloop is a real-time accounting service built by D2C founders for D2C founders. Try Finaloop completely free, no credit card required. Just visit finaloop.com slash D2C pod and get 14 days free and a two-month P&L within 24 hours with all the e-com data and breakdowns you need to crush it. What's up, DTC pod? Today, we're joined by Liz Georgie from Suna. So Liz, I'll let you kick us off. Um... Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and a little bit about Suna? Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. So I'm the co-founder and CEO of Suna, but I have always uh, been a creative person at heart. So today, while I sit in sort of a business role, I actually have a background in being a creator. So I went to college to become Barbara Walters. That was my aspiration. I thought Barbara Walters was the most powerful woman on planet Earth because you know, as a little kid, you get to see her on the news. She's interviewing the president. She's interviewing prime minister. She seems very important. Uh, but very quickly realized that I didn't want to be on camera, that I far preferred the more technical and creative jobs. And so I had about a seven-year career as a television editor that I'm really proud of and was really exciting. I worked on a lot of different programming from Big Ten Network to CNN to BBC, and then eventually landed at PBS doing a lot of different work for them. And in 2013, I became pretty obsessed with creating video for the internet. And it's easy to look at that time now and not be very precious about it, but you have to keep in mind, in 2013, the only two places you could upload a video natively to the internet were really YouTube and Vimeo. And so I started a production company that focused on creating ad content, video ad content for YouTube, and very quickly became an agency and production company that focused on, you know, everything that had video moving forward, Facebook, Instagram, every mobile app that you would open up would have video ads in them. And so we were creating video ads for a lot of different platforms. And in 2019, I decided to sell the company ultimately because I wanted to go after this opportunity with Suna and because my co-founder in Suna, Haley and I, we really honestly just felt that e-commerce was going to be the next area of opportunity. So sold my first company in 2019 and then started chasing after Suna shortly after that. And the idea behind Suna was really quite simple. There's not a single thing that we buy on the internet that doesn't have a photo. The photo is the most important part of the purchase making decision. It's the thing that makes you emotionally go, yes, I want that or no, I don't want that. And it also is frankly, one of the hardest and most expensive parts for brands without platforms like Trend or Suna or others. And so we wanted to solve that problem and we wanted to do it at scale. And so since then, Suna has shot 5 million e-commerce assets uh, in the last four years, which has been really kind of an incredible thing to think about now in retrospect. Um, and, you know, we've just continued to be really proud of what we're doing as a, as a business. We have 15,000 merchants on the Suna platform creating content for whatever they sell and wherever they want to promote and sell it. Yeah, that's it's, it's really incredible. Also, thinking about your background and how time like how everything changes so fast like 2013 video ads like even you just saying vimeo and youtube and those being the only platforms for video ads i remember that was around the time i was starting my first company and at that time like you needed a video ad to like launch your product but to like get it something like that produced i remember like we were gonna have to come up with like 10k to get like a video done because just because there was no one doing that kind of stuff so it's just so interesting to see the evolution in 10 years now like video is like 
pretty native sort of content all over for creatives. It's shorter form. There's all different sorts of asset types. So it's the it's just anyway. You you took me down memory lane uh, with, with that one. But well, you can just think about how funny it is now. We take for granted how many things are video first. How much of our shopping decision making is video first. So I feel really lucky that I actually went to school for broadcast because I think it ended up being fortuitous and, you know, continues to be an area that I always get excited about. So, so on, on the fact that you went to school for broadcasting, where did the, where did the um, entrepreneurial knack come from? Because you could have just gotten a job, you got your degree, um, but you went down the lane of starting an agency and a company as the first one. Like, where did that come from? It came from my grandfather. My grandfather was a businessman. He was an entrepreneur. When I was a little kid, I was a what I called a shop kid. Uh, my grandfather had a canoe outfitter in northern Minnesota where we took people on canoe outfitting expeditions in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area, which is the largest set of chained lakes in North America, and they're untouched by man. So you can't live on these lakes. You can't uh, like use a motorized boat or ski-doo or something like that on these lakes. So they're really majestic, very pure water. You can literally drink the water right out of the lake. And um, we had a tourism company. People would go on trips with our family. And as a little kid, I hung out in the shop. You know, that was I spent every night after school. I spent every weekend there. I was very familiar with that. And I think the thing I observed and honestly, the thing I was longing for after six years of sort of, you know, doing a normal job, if you will, is starting a business and being part of a business, it gives a lot of purpose and meaning to life. You know, it's like a reason for waking up in the morning. I didn't want to keep waking up and working on things I didn't care about. I didn't want to spend my days going like, oh, I just spent 40 hours on something and I'm not that proud of it. And I felt so called to entrepreneurship, I think, because my grandfather just showed me the value of hard work and also just the importance of having purpose and meaning in your life. And I mean, you know, it's going to be 10 years this upcoming October that I've been an entrepreneur, just kind of unbelievable. Uh, and I have to be honest, like I have not longed for meaning in 10 years. You know, I haven't felt like I wake up in the morning, you know, hating what I do. I feel really lucky that entrepreneurship really gives you that sense of purpose. Yeah, I think for for the right people who who gravitate towards it, it's like you have to be a little bit crazy, but it it almost it doesn't feel like work because you're just like solving problems and putting out fires all day. But it's like your your brain just can't stop. You just keep going, and and like you were saying, it feels like there's purpose. It doesn't feel like you're just throwing your time away, um, which I think is the most important part. And there's the legacy component. I feel like. I've met so many people who've worked for my grandfather, who went on a trip with my grandfather's company, and they remember him. They remember everything that he did for them. You know, I there's so many people who will, like, write to me and say, like, I got married to the person that I worked with at your grandfather's shop. And, you know, you just think through how many kind of amazing things you also get to witness. And a company is really just a way that you build a community around something, you know, whether that's the community of your customers or the community of your employees, or in the case of a business like Trend or our pro services directory at Suna, a community of people who want to model and share themselves and share their experiences with the world. And so I also think we're very communal creatures, we humans, and entrepreneurs have a really unique ability to sort of foster community through business a lot of times when they're very successful. I mean, I can relate. I, you know, my biggest driver was seeing the payouts to creators. Um, and same it is for you to say, you know, 4 million photos provided to e-commerce brands. And so most important thing is that it all starts backwards from the mission. Um, you know, you don't just pick a business idea um, with the intent to make money, all great businesses work backwards from that mission. And it's clear that that's what happened to you because your previous business was an agency. But then this vision for Asuna was a tech business, um, something you hadn't done before. And clearly that didn't stop you in the tracks from like figuring it out. So what was that like, um, you know, diving deep into um, starting a tech company? It's such a keen question because I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> so 
I had no idea. I knew intrinsically that I wanted Haley. So Haley and I, when we started talking about this idea, the thing that we both knew we wanted to do is we wanted to make the photos really affordable. And one of the things that we talked about and the video clips, one of the things we talked about was that like a stock photo on iStock, for example, the average price was about 40 bucks. And so we would say, okay, how do we make a great custom photo about the same or less than a crappy stock photo so that it feels like you're just getting this fantastic deal? And we realized very quickly through talking about that, that the only path to solving that was going to be technology, that we were going to have to use technology to cut out a lot of the waste, cut out a lot of the time that goes into planning photo shoots, and to create sort of a consistent workflow that made it possible for us to do this at scale. And so knowing that as a North Star, I think it was just a process of gathering product requirements, right? But we didn't know that at the time. We had no idea we were doing that. And so what I always recommend to people is try to find a thought partner who can sort of help you shape your idea into kind of the what are the requirements? What does success look like? What is it going to be if you do it well in your mind? And that helped us then reach out to different people in our network. And I remember reaching out to a, a person that I worked with who I knew was like really good at live streaming and knew a lot about compression because it was like, okay, how are we going to make video instantly viewable? And lots of them all the time. And I put this document in front of them and just asked a bunch of questions. And it's funny how I think one of the most important qualities to have as an entrepreneur is just curiosity and not getting overly attached to how something happens but being ruthlessly stubborn about what's going to happen at the end, right? I will go on any journey. Like, whatever journey you want me to go on, I'm, I'm down for the ride. But I am stubborn as hell about I want to deliver great value to the customer, and great value means $39 photos, right? And that, I think, balanced with a really good technical mindset, you will find a way to get there together. So you mentioned a, a key word, which is consistency and always looking from the outside into soon. I thought, you know, that's one of the things you guys do best is that consistency and then the timeline um, and speed of delivery of the content while keeping that consistency. It's almost like the value proposition of Starbucks. People know because they know what they're going to people go because they know what they're going to get every single time. So when you were building it out, did you have like three major things that you were like, all right, we have to get these three things right or five or whatever it is in order for this to work if we get this right we'll figure out the rest yeah it was quality affordability and it had to feel fun so quality was we have this saying that's kind of a joke now but it still feels true a 39 dollars photo is only exciting if you like the 39 dollars photo a 39 dollars photo is not exciting if you think it's ugly so the quality had to be first. The affordability, it had to feel like it was in your budget. And then the fun is, to me, kind of giving people that experience. At, we're in a B2B space. And Haley and I have this joke amongst us that B2B secretly stands for boring to boring. Like every single B2B business is like, we have a perfectly stark blue, white, and black website. And we build technology for other businesses to solve their dynamic problems. And it's like, no, that's so boring. Like I, I'm a person, you're a person. There's a, definitely a person at this company making the purchase decision. Let's talk to each other like human beings. Let's have some fun with it. And we thought if we could bring those three things together, we would really have something special. And I, it's strange because I think a lot of people change those values over time or change those ideas over time. But They've stuck. Like, we still believe in quality, affordability, and fun. And that's kind of guided us well, I think, the entire way. Yeah, I think that also having, like what you said before that, about having a destination that you want to get to and then figuring out how we're going to get there and pairing that with values, that just seems like the the perfect recipe for being able to, like, achieve progress. Like, I see it all the time in our projects, too, whether... It's a podcast, whether it's a startup, anything you're growing, you have an idea of where you want to go. And sometimes it's pretty unclear where like the solutions and the unlocks are going to come. But if you just, if you know they're going to come and you're curious about where they may come from, they start to reveal themselves. And then you pair that with the values that you guys are, you know, that are important to you as entrepreneurs and 
the value that you're trying to bring, that's kind of how you're able to unlock it. So Liz, the next question that I have is building a business like Suna or Ramon Trend, like I know how Ramon built Trend, so we don't have to go there, but um, you know, these sort of marketplace businesses, they're not the easiest businesses to build, right? You are dealing with um, you know, a supply of, in your case, creators on one side, they're delivering a product and you have customers on the other side. So the three of us here, we all know about building marketplaces. So why don't you walk us through the beginnings of Suna, right? Like how did you start building out, um, you know, your network of creators, your first customers, just take us back to the early days and how did it start coming together? We had a really long approach to the first customer. So we actually gotten in Techstars in 2019, January 2019. And at that time, we were still developing the product. We didn't even have an MVP or a beta. We were still in development. And honestly, the only thing I had to show Techstars as part of our application process was this very novel technology that we had developed that essentially allowed us to take a photo anywhere in the world and then have it show up in this browser-based experience. And one of the things that Haley and I both knew really, really intimately from having been on set, because Haley's a professional animator by trade, so that's another sort of like nuance to this, is she's also a prof professional creator, and we've spent a lot of time together on set. And so we knew that one of the things that really gets customers excited and trusting you with their vision and their brand is actually being able to see what you're doing. Um, the kind of black box nature of most marketplaces I think is oftentimes a detriment to the experience because brands get a bunch get excited about creating content then they order the content but they aren't part of the process they don't get to experience the process and so we just really believed in that as the primary kind of reason why we were innovating in the space and why Techstars should let us in and it was funny because basically Haley and I were like okay we have no idea how we're going to get to a, a product by the end of this, but let's just start building an email list. So we had started a YouTube channel and we were just sharing every single week of Techstars week by week. And we knew that there are a lot of people who were just interested in Techstars. And so we were like, cool, maybe people will just subscribe and watch us go to Techstars every single week. <laughs> um, and I also think people just really, I don't know what it is. Like people are just fascinated by founders. They're fascinated by how ridiculous we are. <laughs> uh, and so we would do a Techstars video every single week. And then that led up to at the end of the 13 weeks, we could announce like, okay, we have a beta coming in September. So sign up to be part of our beta. And we got 2000 brands to sign up to be part of our beta, which we thought was really exciting. And then we said, okay, cool. September rolls around. We get the beta off the ground. And we said, we're going to accept 200 into the beta. And we're just going to make content for them for a hundred bucks. It was like whatever content, just to ask them questions, get price points, whatever. And I remember the very first day that we opened up the beta, it took three orders for a customer to sign up where I didn't know anybody associated with the product. And I think that was when I knew like, wow, we are really hitting a big problem when I don't know, three like normally you'd expect your first 50 orders to be your friends your family like a bunch of people you already know but three people and I already don't know this person and so those early days were really like super unscalable stupid things but honestly there are things that I still do today like I have two hours of my calendar every single week that's just dedicated to content creation and I see my job as the founder of this company to to be like being out there in the world talking about e-commerce talking about the business you know y'all have this podcast i have i literally have three linkedin posts an email newsletter several tiktok accounts that i'm responsible for a youtube show like i have so much stuff that i'm making all the time but honestly it's never been about like quantity of viewers i'm clearly not mr beast you know like that's obvious but I think the quality of what people get from the content that we create is real and is very um, meaningful to me. And so that's been a strategy we deployed since day one. And then after our beta, we literally just asked every single one of these customers, okay, what do you want? What would make it better? What would make it awesome? What would make it more exciting for you? 
and we got some guidance on pricing. We got some guidance on how it should come together. And then by December of 2019, we launched sort of what Suna is today, which is a virtual photo shoot platform where you can plan the photo shoot and have the photo shoot in one layer of software. And um, honestly, I think we just got really lucky after that. I mean, the pandemic accelerated our business in a way that I could never have predicted in a million years. And the fact that people could participate in the photo shoot virtually when they were already participating in remote work gave us a competitive advantage during most of 2020 and 21 that, you know, was magic in a bottle. I hope we can capture it again. I'm sure we will. But it was a pretty spe special time in terms of building up to that launch. I remember hearing about Suna for the, well, we were introduced after the Techstars, um, through Techstars and, and Adam Burroughs um, range. But I remember first seeing Suna during the pandemic with sort of, I think it's a growth hack strategy that you guys did of the free headshots, right? Yes, we did. <laughs> so, yeah, we um, headshots still to this day. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that must have been a boom because, so what, what is it like, what was the, you know, the, the perfect, um, sort of trifecta there? Was it, you know, pandemic, new company starting, then beefing up their LinkedIn, people are tweeting more, um, needing professional headshots. And so this was remote headshots right yeah we did remote headshots for a while but then as the world started opening back up the other thing that was weird is like people were just desperate to leave their house and so they like got a reason to do it so the summer of 2020 i think we did like 500 headshots that summer alone and then like now since we've done probably about 5,000 since then and we just do them on friday afternoons but that was a growth hacking strategy it's like just because think about this in b2b Everybody needs a headshot. There are so few like delightful experiences that happen in, in your B2B life. Like, so to have kind of this like, oh, I had this great experience. I got to pick a ridiculous color backdrop. I got to interact with a photographer, whatever, you know, then po that people would post about it on LinkedIn a lot. And so that was a huge growth hacking strategy. The pandemic definitely gave us some um, like wind at our backs. And then I think the other thing that really just worked for us was brands would share their virtual photo shoot on Instagram. So they would be like, oh, look at my virtual, like, what do you, which images do you like? Here is, I'm on a live shoot right now. What do you want me to tell the photographer? And so people were saying like, oh, you should tell them to add flowers or you should tell them to add a vase. And they would do it and someone would post it on Instagram. And so that was a really huge um, there was just something very fun for people about sharing their photo shoots, like being able to, and it's interesting to think about that. Like if you were a creator, you shared like your onset photos, like people are so excited to share their onset photos. And so that was kind of the equivalent of the onset photo, um, dynamic. But the only thing we did, there's like some really boring practical stuff that I always recommend too. Like we've always been really diligent about email. Trend's really good at email too, but like, you know, making sure that you've got really strong email and you're really thinking about cultivating your list and respecting your list and not just making ass all the time, but actually being helpful and providing guidance. Uh, we also integrated with e-commerce. So we have a Shopify app and we have an Amazon app. And um, pretty soon here, we're going to have a Canva app. We also have a big commerce app. So we made it really easy to discover Suna and some of the other places that people were looking. And then, I don't know, we just invested psychotic amounts of energy in that dang Instagram account. I mean, it has over 130,000 followers, I think, today. And like that just has paid dividends in a pretty big way. It's 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 fun to talk about all the things that worked. Um, but I'm sure that, you know, between all those, there was 20 things, growth hacks you tried that didn't work. And it, it comes from uh, leadership of optimism because during COVID, you guys have physical studios as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure it was a moment of turning a hardship into an opportunity. There were so many of those. I mean, we were like, I mean, speaking of things that, let me tell you a couple of things that like absolutely didn't work, but they might work for someone else, right? Like uh, at one point we had this idea of, you know, essentially creating kind of demo stores where people could like test an entirely new idea with a photo shoot absolutely nobody wanted to do it they were just like absolutely not like 
in my head, I was convinced that you would like want to demo content with the with the photography and nobody was interested in it. I'm remembering also like we tried SMS marketing. Nobody wants a B2B business texting them about any. I don't think anybody really wants any business texting them. Like, so we tried SMS. It absolutely fell flat on its face. Like, it was just nothing about that worked. And, you know, there's been so many times where I've like seriously questioned is it the right thing to have a network of dog models and cat models? Because it's like a lot of work. There's a ton of weird, bizarre risks associated with the, the, with our pro services platform. I remember we had a dog on a set and I just happened to be in the studio that day that was like really aggressive and really mean. And we had to like fire our first dog from the platform. Like you know, just the stuff that you kind of like laugh about now, but in the moment just feels like the worst thing because you put so much time and effort into it. And so I don't know, that's kind of why I say what my philosophy has always been about this sort of like be stubborn about the destination, but be flexible about how you get there because you don't know what's going to work always. You don't know when you're going to fail. You don't do something knowing you're going to fail. You do it going, okay, I'm going to try it and hopefully I don't fail, but I probably will and let's see what happens, right? And I also think it just helps you keep your mental health in a good position during the journey when you're not overly controlled or um, convinced of outcomes ahead of time because otherwise you can start to really beat yourself up for mistakes and I try not to think of things as mistakes. I try to think of them as tests that either went right or went wrong and lean into the ones that went right and let the ones that went wrong go in the rear view mirror. A hundred percent. And I think so much of it, kind of like you were saying, sometimes they go right, sometimes they go wrong. Sometimes if there are different conditions in a market, they would have gone really right or vice versa. So it's just about like doing things, putting them out there, seeing what works and doubling down on what works so long as they're carrying you in the right direction. Um, one question that I'd have for you, Liz, is, you know, now it seems like we have like a general kind of idea of like how the business was built, how you guys approach everything. But talk to me a little bit from the perspective of a brand, right? Like, let's say I'm starting my own new brand uh, and now I'm looking to get some creative. How does my experience, how does that happen through Suna? What am I, what am I able to get? Um, I know you talked about being able to kind of have some direction in the photo shoot. Tell me about like what's happening on your end and how that whole process works for me as a, you know, brand who's looking to get some product photography or any sort of content done. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just say you need some content to launch a new product. You probably need some product photos. You need some campaign photos. You're probably going to need some ad video. Perhaps you're going to want some unboxing video or some how-to video. And so our platform allows you to plan a photo shoot for that product launch. And we really kind of design our photo shoot planning around either, do you want to build around the platform? Meaning, are you building a new Amazon listing page? Are you building a new Shopify page? Are you building an Instagram ad? Or allow you to build it kind of based on every single thing you think you need for a given product campaign. So brands are able to sort of plan those two ways. And they're able to add every single thing that they need in order to fulfill that creative vision. So that's everything from what kind of background are you envisioning? Is it a, a lifestyle background or is it more of a polished studio background? Is it product on white because it's going on Amazon? You know, the things that I would just consider to be sort of checking the boxes of making sure you're meeting all those requirements. Then we're going to let you do things like add your personal style as a brand. So you can shop our directory of over 3,000 props and pick what kind of plants you want, what kind of pillows do you want, what kind of napkin do you want. And all of those get bundled into your photo shoot. And then finally, you can decide if there's going to be people or pets in your photo shoot uh, or any providers who are going to make that look great. So we have a pro services directory, about 1,700 members, and these are Hand models, foot models, full body models, dog models, cat models, turtle models, rabbit models. Um, but then also, you know, these trades people who are really professionals in really key areas of production. So, you know, fashion stylists, food stylists, you know, food styling is incredibly specific and challenging. So being able to style food appropriately so that it looks good on camera is a, is a key skill. And then once the brand has sort of built that photo shoot, and keep in mind that process, so before Suna, if you want to plan a photo shoot like this, it would have been a ton of spreadsheets, a ton of Pinterest boards, probably looking for these studio locations across Airbnbs and, you know, different websites and 
calling different places, touring different places. We've taken this process that was taking brands, you know, two to three weeks and lots of money and turned it into seven clicks. And I think that's what that time savings of like five minutes to build a photo shoot of your dreams has been just a huge piece of this for brands. And then once their photo shoot is built, they order it and we match it intelligently to one of our production facilities across the country. So we have facilities in Los Angeles, Minneapolis, Denver, and Austin, Texas. And those are kind of the hubs where we bring together sets, uh, props, environments. That's where our providers come in and have their photo shoots for the day. And once that photo shoot happens, you get invited to join a virtual shoot. So not all that different than joining a video meeting, but instead of looking at each other, you're actually looking at a live view of what's coming out of the camera in real time. So you see every single photo and video clip as it's created in real time. You can give feedback, you can message with your creatives, you can actually you know, rate the images, make your favorites, create folders. And then one of the things that I think is so special is those assets become shoppable. So we have an e-commerce platform ourselves. You pay $39 per photo, $93 per video clip. You only pay for the ones you truly want and love, and we deliver them the next day. So all in, brands will spend you know about two weeks on average from planning a photo shoot to having final assets, and they get them for an incredibly affordable price that I think is just you know, really allowing them to professionalize their business no matter where they're trying to sell their product. Yeah. And you guys are doing something that's really hard, uh, like you said, for brands before in order to plan the logistics and execute. But the first thing that comes to mind when you're telling me about this is like, I get all these videos and reels on like Instagram where it's like the hack to make your like crazy pro product photography. And you see all these people like, I don't know, like dropping a ball into like a bowl of powder and like capturing them. And I'm like, oh man, like, that's cool that you just showed me how you got that picture, but like, imagine like having to set up that whole rig and do everything right. It's 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 not it's not easy work. So um, I it's it seems well, like you guys have yeah go for it, Ramon. Well, no, I think it's important that you mentioned that um, that you know you you asked about your your um, scenario here was what if I'm starting a brand and now you're talking about well me setting that myself up, but. I think it's important to talk as well about what if I'm already a big brand and I go into Suna, right? Like, um, you know, I'm looking to scale. I have hundreds of SKUs. Um, like, what's that scenario like? What is the alternative for those companies? And what does that experience look like in Suna for like, you know, 50, $100 million brands or so? Sure. And we work with a lot of those big brands, right? Because scaling creativity is almost just as hard as doing initial creativity. And it's for a lot of the reasons you mentioned, right? You've got 50 SKUs, each one of them need different images. And this is where our integration layer really comes into play because being able to integrate our technology with your brand's infrastructure allows us to do really novel things. So one of the things in our product that we don't talk about that much publicly, but is an awesome feature for large brands is something called the product catalog. And what it does is it allows us to suck in all your inventory and see like, what do you need images for? And then you can order images according to every single item in your product inventory that's missing content or that you wanna change content. So that's a perfect example of when you're scaling content, being able to become integrated then with the virtual photo shoot experience allows to make ordering easier. It allows teams to work together. So as soon as a multi-seat system where large teams of people can collaborate on photo shoots and also attend them together. And then the other thing that I think is just really novel about when you're scaling your content is, you know, scaling your professional services. You're going to need models that are coming in a staggered way and you, you don't want the same model for every single image. And so being able to add, you know, up to 20 models to a photo shoot and then know that it's going to be intelligently organized so that we're doing two hours with Melissa, then two hours with James, then two hours with Dominique, and it goes through the flow. You know, building software to make that possible, to schedule that seamlessly has been a huge part of the lift of this business, but it's what makes creativity both accessible at the low end and then scalable at the high end. The next thing I want to talk to you guys about is... Uh is now like trend and Suna, right? Automatically, I start to see the synergies because it seems like Suna built a network that was like really predicated on being in like more high touch. You've got the studio component. You've got all these processes built to generate that type of content. Whereas Trend and Ramon, I've worked with Trend um, 
to get content done myself, it seems like it's more distributed. So it seems like, you know, I just, just talk me through the acquisition. How did you guys think about it? I'm initially already starting to see a whole bunch of synergies and blending now what you have with Suna and the distributed nature of trend. Yeah. So like, how did it all come together? Um, and, and how do you guys think about it from a business? I don't know if Ramon has even heard me explain this thinking. So it's, <laughs> so it's week one. Yeah. See what we think. Yeah. Let me start with this. So one of our core philosophies at Santa is that we are e-commerce platform agnostic, meaning we do not align ourselves with any one platform or any one tool. We don't say we're a Shopify app or an Amazon you know, seller central tool. We see ourselves as completely agnostic. So wherever a brand wants to sell and however they want to market their product, we want to be the right fit for producing content for them in those places. And one of the trends that we've been keeping our eye on is we really started to believe firmly that shopping is going to become a feature of everything we do on the internet. I can even see shopping being a feature of this podcast where somebody just clicks add to cart about something we talked about, right? And when you think about shopping becoming a feature of the internet, that actually means that the kinds of content that you're going to need in order to successfully execute on that is even broader. You're going to need not just the great product on white images and the great campaign images and the awesome Instagram ad video and the cool TikTok video. You're also going to need user reviews. You're also going to need user-generated content that features environments. You're going to need, you know, the travel vlog. You're going to need so many types of content to successfully respond to where e-commerce is going. So we had been really bullish on adding UGC to our platform in 2023, and we were actually doing the work to build the product ourselves. And then I had gotten to know Ramon a little bit, but once we spent some serious time together, you know, I spent time with Ramon and Zach and realized why on earth would I try to build this? They've already done it. They've already done an exceptional job. They've already thought through the problems. They've already seen the problems firsthand. And they've already seen what success looks like. And I can't say enough about, like, as a founder, I really want to be honest with myself about what I don't know. And what I don't know is how to build a UGC platform. And so we decided that once this opportunity came across our table, we would be silly not to look at it as a way for us to go faster, to partner with leaders in this space, and, you know, one of my personal philosophies as a human is I, it's just as important to me who I do things with as what I'm doing. And my relationship with my co-founder has always been about I love working with Haley. Like I would literally work on a tube sock company with Haley if she wanted to. Like I don't care what we're doing. I just want to hang out with Haley. And I kind of felt like Zach and Ramon also had that relationship and we could relate on that level. And, you know, if the success that Haley and I have experienced together, if we could replicate that with Ramon and Zach, the four of us working on this product, I just felt like there would be tremendous opportunity to just explode what, what they've been able to do so far. And so I really think that the time will tell, but I'm very optimistic. Yeah, I mean, I've, Blaine has heard my, my pitch and thesis, and it's along the same lines of in order for brands to win um, from 2023 onwards, they need to be omni-channel. And the the channels that they need to be present on are only increasing. And so the output of content that brands need to produce is growing at such a pace that brands can just not keep up. And so all of these are different sort of systems for generating content. Like you said, the brand that needs the e-com photography is the same brand that needs the TikTok video, completely different system. And you also don't want all of your content to be the same across all channels because that's boring. And so for us, you know, what Blaine mentioned earlier of, okay, I don't want to like have to do that whole rig setup myself. Well, okay, a creator can do it for you. But what about when you want to get serious about it as a brand? You also don't want to manage a 300 creators doing this. And if you do, it better be a really good system for how you're doing it so you can scale that and it's not um, a time suck for brands. And so we felt like we did that first layer well. However, it UGC in the creator content space needs a lot more professionalism and understanding of the creative industry. And that's something that Liz and the Suna team had. And so for that reason, it made a lot of sense for us. And, you know, I feel really excited about just seeing this be taken to a new level because I think that this continues to build the moats 
for the one company that is going to win the creative space, which is the one destination for any kind of creative. And that is going to be very hard for any incumbent to try to start from scratch. Yeah, I, I think the, the really interesting here, and this is something that Liz, that even Ramon had pointed out to me that a lot of people didn't don't pick up on is just like the nuance within creative. And clearly I can see that with Suna. So when you hear the term creative, you're like, oh, you know, product photography, it's the same thing as like, as influencer, it's the same thing as UGC, but like what people don't understand is the systems to make that stuff happen and the type of creative that sits under the broader umbrella of creative, they're all different processes and they're all different things, right? Like even Ramon, when you say UGC, UGC is different than an influencer platform. And and then, you know, all these people are just like, oh, isn't it the same thing as an influencer? It's like, no, it's, it's different, right? So um, I think if you guys have the thesis that brands need to be on, omni-channel content is everywhere content is like the lifeblood of brands and being able to meet their audience on the internet well then you need to have all those systems and processes and people know how to run those processes in place or even expose them to new audiences well and what you can't you i mean not, not to sort of fast forward too far but i think what we have seen let's take another creative company that that is publicly traded and very successful adobe what has adobe done really well adobe has taken a professional category and created software and tools for anyone to be able to create content in the post-production components of the content business and then you've got a company like Canva that enters the market and says, cool, we love all that, but we're going to make it browser-based and we're going to hit the easy button for you so you don't have to think so hard. I kind of think about the creative space of the actual content generation very similarly. There were a lot of companies out there, big agencies, big billion-dollar agencies that were, you know, sort of letting you do this in a very custom way, very slow, uh, and but, you know, you can get it done. But you had to have sort of a professional environment. I think there needs to be a Canva for the actual content generation. And that is, you know, hitting the easy button on the content creation piece. And I think we are really well positioned to do that now, especially with the acquisition of Trend. And I know there will be even more opportunities for us to expand that vision even further. I love that. No, no, I love the the whole easy button analogy because... Like you were saying, if you're doing things one-off or you're working directly with a singular UGC creator or trying to direct your own photo shoot where you have to do all those different components, it's not easy. You can do it and you can get as granular as you want, but that's not an easy process to manage um, by any means, right? So I think that that's a that's a really good analogy. What were you going to say, Ramon? No, I think um, what most people listening might be thinking is, well, isn't that what AI-generated um, yeah. content <laughs> is supposed to do so um you know listening back on this conversation there's there's a lot of elements that hit the mark here that people overlook that don't understand creative like you know suna turns the brand owner or the person creating the content and puts them in the director seat because brands ultimately want control right and so um they are involved in the experience they have a say they have voice and they have control and so um I think that's some of the key elements that um, AI might be missing, but I'm curious on your take on like, you know, can I just generate a content? Isn't that the new easy button? For, for sure, if you want like a really crappy picture that is like going to compete with stock content, for sure. Like, I don't think that AI uh, in any way, shape or form isn't an easy button. It is. But I think I, I sort of approach it this way. Brands don't want to all look the same. Brands don't all want to sound the same. And there's going to be a lot of places where AI is just going to create a lot of the same. Uh, one th way to think about this is they are data sets and data sets represent what the most common themes are and what the most common information is in a data set. And it can be a whole new type of blanding where we just see brands all doing AI-generated stuff, AI-generated copy, AI-generated emails, AI-generated images, AI videos. Like, But we all remember, I think, as direct-to-consumer people, a period between you know, 2016 and 2020 where every brand kind of looked the same. Everybody was copying sort of the same aesthetics. And then we had sort of a renaissance of everybody's going to kind of determine their own identity, their own vision, their own storytelling in the world. Um, 
And I truly believe actually in that creative creative spirit, the diversification of what we're doing, the individual details that make a brand special. And I think that AI can actually be a companion to ensuring that creativity can scale even more. You know, one of the things that I really think is in trouble is stock content. But I don't think highly specific storytelling-oriented, brand-oriented, campaign-oriented content is in trouble because I candidly think that human beings want to be part of that process. They want to make sure they're controlling the tiny details. They want to be involved in, uh, you know, being in the director's seat, as you mentioned. AI doesn't put us in the director's seat. It just sort of says, well, here's what everybody mostly thinks this idea is. Is that what you think it is? And that's not fun, that's not interesting, and honestly, it's not that creative. And so I try to think about where can we use AI in our business to make people feel more creative, to expand the potential of their creative, and have it almost function as like another person on the crew that is supporting that creative direction instead of thinking about it as a replacement of the entire process. And you know what, if I'm wrong, one of the things that I think you have to decide as a founder is like, I'm okay with being wrong and I don't want to run a company that looks differently, you know? And I think we have to be brave as founders in acknowledging that and saying like, listen, if all of society has decided that creativity is dead and we all want to look at hyper-realist, hyper-imaginative images of the world generated by AI for the rest of time, then that's a world that other people can go participate in. I think I'll go like grow yams or something because I don't want to do that. Like that's just not what I want to do with my life. So I hope I'm right. I believe I am, but time will tell. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And because I've actually sat in the director chair trying to get AI to do what I needed to do. Obviously technology improves quickly, but I think another thing for brands, kind of like you said, they want easy button and they want direction and they want quality. And with AI, especially now, it's like you really have to get in there and you really have to work it hard. And at the end of the day, you're still not getting quite what you want. And a lot of times, even at the agency level, the reason agencies tend to work so well for brands is because they don't want to do it. They want to be able to have a little bit of direction, but like kind of get it off their plate so you guys are able to handle it. And I think what Suna and Trend and you guys coming together, what you're able to deliver is exactly that, is being able to deliver the asset that they want, have the creative direction involved. And then like you said, even in a worst case scenario, as, as AI gets commoditized in the space, you're already the, the company that people trust for generating creative. You can work that into your workflows to help augment not only your creators, but the end output. And so... Um, you know, I think, I think that's, yeah. What was that Ramon? I, I test, you know, we tested a little bit of AI stuff with brands and it was because I was having conversations with brands, but I couldn't get the answer of, have you tried to do it? Have you tried to do it yourself? Um, and so we kind of gave them the power to try and doing it themselves because brands, they don't know that they don't know before they start the journey of creating the content that they want to be in the director's seat, that they want that much control. And they don't know, you know, ultimately you generate content to generate sales, which content performs on context. And so there's not going to be any model, um, LLM model that, you know, understands the kayaking industry and can generate that authentic content that could expose you to a new audience or, or make that content that is going to resonate um, and perform. Today, I was listening to a podcast of my first million this morning with um, Rob Derdick, the supplement brand that they spent a few million dollars, like six years trying to make the business grow. And it only took off when um, Huberman promoted it on the podcast. And it went from like nothing to like 20 million plus. And it's because of the authenticity there. And so um, it's not always volume of output. It's how well it can resonate. And so if you can unlock both of those, um, I think we're onto something big. And hopefully that's what we can do. And ultimately, AI is artificial. It's artificial. And what I think trend as a business model proved is people actually want authentic. Uh, it is not it is not authentic intelligence. It is artificial intelligence. I also want to point out that, you know, at the at the end of the day, the three of us, when we unwind and we maybe hop on TikTok or hop on YouTube or go on Netflix, we feel there's something deeply human about the connection that we feel with content. 
with storytelling, with performance. And you can create a song that kind of sounds like Drake, or you can create a movie that kind of looks like a Nora Ephron movie. Uh, but it isn't their movie. And I think one of the things that a lot of people are really not taking into consideration is what goes into these models is really important contributions by human beings to our creative and human experience. And I find it really disingenuous and honestly kind of sad that we are all so willing to just hand over the idea that human beings have anything to contribute to culture at all and just go, well, I guess the computers will create our culture now. I, I don't get that. Like, I'm not interested in a universe that functions like that. I want to know about Ramon's life. I want to talk to the two of you. I don't want to talk to a computer. Um, at least I don't right now. <laughs> so I, I want to really, as a person and as a leader, just constantly remind people that, like, yes, it's cool. Yes, it's interesting. But when you really think about what matters to you as a person... I'm going to guess it's the human parts of your life, not necessarily the artificial parts of your life. And your soul is aware. You're so, like, you know that deep down. Um, so I couldn't imagine watching Netflix. That was all AI generated. Um, but so, um, okay. So as we get towards the end here, what is the future of Suna? What does that look like? We want to be the single place for creating content online. And uh, we continue to look forward to providing that for brands in new and interesting ways with this acquisition of Trend. I really think it's just that simple. <laughs> Amazing. And Liz, for our listeners that want to, are maybe interested in checking out a little bit more about Suna, connecting with you, where can we find you uh, online? And then yourself, are you on, you know, are you on LinkedIn? Are you on Twitter? You're on everything. I know you said you're on YouTube. <laughs> And TikTok. Literally on everything. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh please just go to Suna.co to learn more about Suna. If you want to learn about Suna and Trend working together, go to Suna.co slash trend. And if you want to follow us, we are at Suna Studios on literally every single thing. And I am at Liz Georgie G I O R G I on all the things. Uh, I hope you will come have conversations with me and maybe, you know, send me your offensive Vincent Van Gogh's created by AI, at which point I will remind you that the AI only created that horrible image because Vincent Van Gogh was alive and well and created amazing art at one point in time. So come at me, Liz. See what I have to say. Love it. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Liz. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of DTC Pod. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love your support. A rating and a review would go a long way as we continue to host the best builders in DTC and beyond. Follow and subscribe to the show, and make sure to check out our show notes where you can find our socials and weekly newsletter. Visit us on dtcpod.com to join our founder community and access resources from every episode. We'll see you on the next pod.